you're new, we're in the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at that today, Romans 13. And so, just to kind of catch everybody up, Romans 1 through 11 is about doctrine, about theology, about our relationship with God. And then Romans 12, which we began a while ago, Romans 12 talks about our relationship with one another, going through Romans chapter 16. We're in Romans 13 now, and so uh, we're going to be reading the scripture. So if you are able to stand to your feet, I'm inviting you to stand to your feet. We're going to read the scripture. We're going to fill the house of God with the word of God by the people of God. So Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. I'm going to read the odd verses, and I would ask you to read really loud the even verses. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says this. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. And Father, thank you that, that we're here. And thank you that you are the God alone that has captured our hearts with your unfailing love. Thank you that when we were far from you, when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, we were without hope and we were without God. And Father, when we were your enemies, that you crashed through our darkness and Jesus Christ shared his grace with us his never-ending grace. And we're undone by what you have done. For by grace we're saved. And Father, we thank you that we are here. We thank you. You're the God that makes all things new, who rewrites our story and makes us right with you. And as we come to your word, I pray that um, may the heart of this passage get into our hearts. May we get what the Holy Spirit intends for us to get uh, from what you speak to us here. And we pray that you would be our teacher and open our eyes and speak to us things we need to hear. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed by saying? Amen. And so let me read to you verses 6 through 10, and then we'll jump into verse 11. But it says, Pay your taxes too for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid, and they are serving God in what they do. Give to everything what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no wrong to others, so fulfills the requirements of the law. So if you're new to church in this passage here, we're going to see what God wants us to do as his followers. Romans 13 is like full life practical application mode. So the thrust of the passage is this. The thrust of the passage is a call for us to wake up. It has a great sense of urgency here. And it's a call to the community of Christ followers in Rome. And in that day, in the light in which they lived, in the light in which we live, a similar call to do basically three things. The first, this is the outline this morning. Here's what you get. Number one is this, is that you wake up. In other words, you become awake spiritually. And secondly, that you clean up, that you depart from deeds of darkness uh, to put off sin. And then lastly, that you, you dress up. 
In other words, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you live for him. So we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking those three commands. It says in verse 11, and this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is, time is running out. And so here's Paul in the middle of all this teaching that he's doing about doctrine and now practical Christian living. He's talking about being a living sacrifice. He's talking about paying your taxes and loving one another here and the commandments and getting after all of that. He stops and he says, hey, I, there's an urgent matter that we need to talk about here. And time is running out in the world. And we should have this sense of urgency because of the things that I'm going to say. And Jesus is coming to the earth. For the first time in the book of Romans, Paul brings a word about eschatology, which are the end times, the last things there. And this is not given that we're going to talk about it so much as it, it's a motivation. It's a motivation to get going with the Christian life now, what we talked about. So the emphasis then is not to instruct on the end times, but to mention the end times in light of how that should motivate us to live. So Paul has now told us what we are to do as Christ followers. Now he's going to tell us when to do it, which is now. By that I mean now is a time to be a living sacrifice. Now is a time not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now is a time to get your spiritual gifts and gear to get them going. Now is a time to understand your relationship with government, God over government. We talked about that last week. Come on, somebody. And so now is the time to pay your taxes. Now is the time to start loving people. Now is the time to get back to church. I just threw that in there. It's not actually there, but I wanted to throw it in to everybody online too. Now is the time, but I will say it, to come back to church. Come on, somebody. Amen. Thank you for the few of you that, that, that enjoyed that. But listen, seriously, if there's somebody here that maybe you haven't seen them around, you, could, you can invite them. But verse 11 says this. This is all the more urgent that you know how late it is. Time is running out. So what are we to do in light of that to wake up? What he's saying, too, is that all of us should have an, an urgency among God's people. We don't want to waste our time uh, because it, this is the end time. And in light of that, he's saying, take inventory how you're living your life. And you want to wake up. During this time, God's people more than any other time, need to be spiritually awake. The question is this. Do you think, let me ask the question, do you think that during the past year or two of COVID that people have been impacted by churches closing, by churches being throttled, by people having to punch out and watch online where churches reached an all-time attendance low, where many Christ followers were so impacted emotionally, one-third of the church has dropped out and has not returned. These are the latest uh, statistics. Only one-third of people that were attending uh, are still attending their pre-COVID church. One out of three people are still attending their pre-COVID church. The result, people stopped attending, people stopped serving, people stopped worshiping. Uh, the digital church is kind of there. People are all over the place with different digital churches, what they watch. People stopped meeting in community. People stopped 
Some have stopped growing. Some have stopped praying. Some have stopped connecting. Do you think the pandemic has affected the church such that maybe this verse, verse 11, has application to us that we need to wake up again? Paul is saying, in light of the expectation that Jesus is coming back, because we anticipate his return, we're all the more motivated to wake up. But the Lord's return is drawing near. And what is said here and throughout the ages is that people would need to hear the message that we need to wake up. And the word time is very interesting here. It's the word chronos that is used. I want to unpack this because it's very important for us here. The word is chronos. I mean, the word is not chronos. There's two original Greek words. And they didn't use this word. And you would think that they would be talking about calendar time. But they're not. He doesn't use the word Chronos, who we would expect him to, uh, when he's talking about time is running out. He's not saying calendar time is running out. Rather, what he uses is another Greek word, kairos. Kairos means a season or an era. Not talking about the calendar, but he's talking about a limited time, a strategic time, an opportune Time. It can also be translated opportunity. So what he's saying, look, in light of the time in which we live, there's only so many opportunities that you're going to get. And once they pass, you don't have another chance at realizing those opportunities. So I say, like, look, if there was ever a time to wake up, this is the time. Because you're living not in Kronos, you're living in Kairos. You're living in God's time where there's God-given opportunities where you must seize them or you lose them forever. There was Greek mythology. Kairos was, a, was like part of Greek mythology. I was this little guy that would run around real fast and he'd have a little ponytail. And the idea was if he runs by really quick, quick and there's that opportunity, and if you don't reach out and grab that, that opportunity to grab him, he will be off and you'll never catch him. So the people understood what this meant. He's saying, like, look, it's a season of Cairo's time. It's a season to wake, out of, wake up out of your sleep and, and, and a time for spiritual alertness. It is a time for spiritual readiness. It is a time to, to wake up out of a sleepy state, literally what it means of inactivity. Hmm, I wonder if that could be true during the COVID season in which we meet, we've lived. It is a calling then to get a fresh grasp on God-ordained opportunities, to see spiritual opportunities. Friends, do you know what time it is? Knowing the time, knowing the God-ordained, opportune time, it is a time to wake from our sleep. So what this is saying is that oh, we can have our eyes open. We can be sincere. We can be well-intentioned and be absolutely asleep spiritually. The word for sleep is so interesting. In the original language, is hoopnos. Now, when it talks about us, and this would, this would apply to all of us, all of us, beginning with a speaker, have been asleep spiritually at seasons of their life. So this is applying to us, and this is describing us. This is describing you, describing your life at some season of your life. Who knows? Where do you think we get the English word? You know what I, where I'm going? The English word is hypnotic or uh, hypnotized. So what it's saying is 
hey, you need to, to, to somehow get out of your hypnotic state where like you've been hypnotized, literally saying that uh, it's not a literal sleep, but a state of being, watch, where you're sluggish, where you're kind of, you're there, but spiritually you're, you're dulled, like hypnotic, where you're sort of in a trans-like state, where you get lulled into because of maybe where we, the condition, the culture, uh, COVID, all that, where you get lulled into this, where you're just sort of, you're there, but maybe you're uninvolved. Maybe you're indifferent in this hypnotic uh, state where uh, inwardly there's this drowsy state spiritually. That's what he's talking about. Hypnos is a, is, is a state that we can be in. And so have you, have you ever fallen into a deep sleep? This has happened to me on occasions where you're, you're so deep into sleep there that you need to get up and you just feel like you can't. Like you can't get up, like you're strapped to the bed, like you feel like that tomorrow morning. Uh, maybe you, you, it's almost like you're in a trance there and you just really can't get up and get going. That's what it's talking about, but in a spiritual sense there. So that's the picture that Paul is giving us of what can happen to us, what can happen to every Christ follower in the room and those watching online and beyond. So this isn't, again, says awake from sleep, not just awaken to some calendar thing here, but it's a God thing, Kairos thing, divine opportunity, a divine time for you. That's why it's so critical. That's why so much emphasis, because all of us, we've got great potential. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians, tells us that you were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that you should walk in them. Imagine that God creating good works while at the same, same time he's calling you to himself, but he also has good works for you. The great opportunities of your life, but you can reach a place where really nothing is is really happening. So what is the answer? Point number one is to wake up. And so because uh, you can do so many Christian acts and go through the motions of devotion there and still be hypnos, be asleep. So what do you do? How do we wake from our sleep? I think there's a couple of ways. Number one is just being on, like brutally honest with yourself and ask God to show you like to see yourself as God sees you. It's a prayer, a prayer that I often pray. Lord, help me to see my life as you see my life. And so brutal honesty with yourself, perhaps you are in a, in a, in a stage there of spiritual sleepiness. I think it begins with honesty, but then ask God to reveal to you maybe what, what part of your life, maybe you're just sort of dozing off a little bit there spiritually. And so uh, it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 10, and I love this, because speaking of the end of the world, it says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, now what do you do? Now think about it for a second. If I was to say, and you couldn't look up here, you couldn't look up here, and I would say, the end of the world is coming soon. What should we do? And I was to point and I'd ask you to, to tell us. People would go like, put on the full army of, of God. You know, we need to pray and we would come up with different things. Well, it does say, uh, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers, but watch also what it says. It says, press in and be fervent to the point of boiling with your love towards one another. 
end of the time, you think you want to retract, you want to withdraw, you want to isolate. No, it say have fervent love toward one another. Now watch what it says. And, and, and for one another. And show hospitality. How many people would think that? It's the end of the world. Yeah, be hospitable toward one another. Like, like what does that mean? What that means is think about it. It's saying don't withdraw. Don't isolate. Okay, don't crawl into your little space and just dwell there. It says no. Engage. This is an inspired God-breathed word. Engage with one another. Be hospitable. Be face-to-face. Be in community. Be in circles together there. Uh, experience hospitality together. End times agenda there. And lastly, how many of you would think they would say, and get your gifts going? Okay, get your gifts going again. Yes, in the, in the, in the last days, fire up your gift discover it and deploy it uh, in the local church. And so, in other words, all that to say this. What do we do? Jesus is, Jesus is coming, so get on with it. Get on with your Christian life. Awake there out of your sleep. Re-engage in community. Get connected. Press renew relationships. Uh, reconnect with one another. Showing hospitality. Exercise your spirit's gift. Stir up, as Paul said to Timothy, the gift that's within you. Uh, because Jesus is getting closer to coming back. So what we know is that he's coming. But of course, no man knows the day or the hour. But every day we know this. He's closer. Every, we're 2,000 years closer than when this was written. So and I get it. I get it, friends. We get discouraged and we look at what's happening around in culture and all. I get it. But we're nearer to the coming of Christ. And so what he's saying is, hey, get fired up. We're getting near to the, to the end. And so be immovable, unshakable, and get fired up. So our salvation is nearer than when we believed. So every Christ follower is nearer to the return of Jesus Christ. So number one, wake up. Number two, look at verse 12. Look at the screen there. It says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So what do we do? Number two. Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Would you agree with me, friends, that we live in a dark time? Would anybody agree with me in the house? Would you agree with me in the back? Would you agree on the sides? Would you agree with me? We live in dark times, yeah. Okay, would you agree with me that we live in a period of human history where it is just plain dark? And would you agree it seems like it's getting darker? Would you agree with that? It's not only dark, but it seems like it's getting darker darker. And so how, then I'd ask, how many of you, by, by a show of hands, how many of you feel the darkness? Yeah, it's, it's like tangible. Like you feel the darkness. Okay. So yeah. So we, we feel the darkness. So we're in a dark season of American history. And I say it's getting darker and darker. And we will be in darkness until the light of the world shows up. It's going to keep getting darker, so we just accept that reality. It's going to keep getting darker until the light of the world, Jesus Christ, makes his triumphal entry, and we can't wait. But what he's saying here is during the season of darkness, what do we need to do? Like we need to be awake. He says the night, look there, the night is almost gone. In other words, meaning that the night has progressed a certain distance there, night being a spiritual sense, uh, uh, that it's not time to check out, it's not time to quit, it's time to step up 
uh, and night speaks of darkness. Night, night speaks of, of the progression of sin. Awful, dark things happen at night. So what do we do? So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. So number one, you're waking up with urgency. Number two, it says clean up. Wake up, clean up. The knowledge of Jesus' eminent return, what it does is it impacts your daily living. It impacts how you live there. And so and now I get it that we don't necessarily talk this way. Like, we don't have a conversation. We say, hey, you know what, friend? You need to clean up your, your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Like, we don't talk like that, right? Uh, another tra- a lot of translations read, put off. Okay, put off and put on. So we don't say, hey, hey, would you just like put off the deeds of darkness? Like we don't talk to one another like that. But I want to I drill down. This is speaking about Christ followers. I just want to ask the question, is there anything of darkness in your life that needs to go? Is there anything of darkness that you need to put off? We're going to take time to have space to talk about that. This carries the idea of dumping your sin, of getting rid of your sin. So the scripture is saying in that in light of the last days here, a call to walk in purity in the middle of a dark world. I don't know, there's something I just love about that. Call to go against the grain of culture, empowered by the Holy Spirit, emboldened by God here. You're called to walk in purity in the last days, in the dark days, casting off your personal deeds of darkness. A call to not only wake up, but to clean up. I like how Ephesians says in Ephesians 5.8, if you want to look on the screen there, says, for you once, for once you once, past tense, describing your life. And how is your life described? You were full of darkness, but now present tense, all of that has changed. Why? You have the light from the Lord. Then what do you do? Walk as children of light. So in the midst of darkness, the call is then to walk as children of light. The deeds of darkness and the deeds of evil were to remove them and put those things off. And it says, and put on the shining armor of right living. Well, where does that come from? Here's where it comes from. Bible scholars uh, talk about uh, this putting on the shining armor of right living. uh, It's analogous to and is drawn from the idea that there was a time when Roman soldiers would go out to war, a time when they would need to sort of clean up and throw stuff off because what they would do is before they would go out to war, before they would potentially lose their lives, they would have these massive hardcore parties. And you know when the the alcohol was flowing there, the wine is flowing, the women are flowing, and but... Uh, they, would, they could turn into orgies and just total craziness there, uh, uh, savage scenes there, because they knew that the next day was, the inevitable day was, was going to be approaching there. But then the next morning, when they heard the blast of the bugle while it was still dark before dawn, and these slumbering, drunken soldiers then would have to put off their party scene and all that they were doing there, and then they would have to throw off the deeds of the garment of the night then, And then they would have to ready themselves for battle. And that's the idea here. That there's an old life then that you were to to put off and to ready yourself in God's armor there, put on the garment which you're to wear, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the image then is the Christ follower putting on the armor of Jesus. We're going to talk about that in just verse 14. Look at verse 13. If you want to look at the screen, it says this. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity and immoral living. Okay, drawing from that scene there of the Roman soldiers. Don't participate. Don't, don't do that. And they were aware of that. They understood that in that culture, how that was. And when it speaks of drunkenness, you say, hey, don't, don't be filled with the spirits, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5. The Bible is not against alcohol, but the Bible is against drunkenness. Why would the Bible be against drunkenness? Because the Bible wants you to be sober-minded, to be, to be in control of your faculties, to live, be full of the Holy Spirit. But this drunkenness here is talked about an intentional drunkenness. Those Roman soldiers, they knew it's party time. That they were very intentional about uh, I mean, they would have parties where they would see who could drink the most and still be able to stand up and, and games like that and indulging in as much excess alcohol as possible. So this, the idea is here, engaging in intentional drunkenness. The Bible is also saying here, the idea is don't waste your life. Don't waste your life and just the emptiness seen there. Don't be a part of that. Don't be, don't be a part of this kind of, Wild, crazy, carousing, the idea of just of wasting your, your life away, uh, a perpetual uh, you know, um, fraternity party type atmosphere. Say goodbye to all that. And people say, yeah, people here today going, yeah, I don't have an issue with that stuff. Maybe I did back in the day. I don't have an issue with that. I'm good. I'm good. So perhaps we haven't struggled with that, but it goes on to say, okay, uh, immoral living, sexual promiscuity. And isn't it interesting in culture today, people are like, you know what, this is who I am, and it's got to celebrate who I am. And we've lost like almost every single word in culture to describe sexual sin. Have you noticed that? And uh, we've systematically stopped using words to talk about sexual sin. So immoral living speaks of living without shame. Like it's just absolute shamelessness, which again you see in culture today. It means unbridled sexual perversion without a hint of shame. And so then it talks about quarreling and literally strife there. Literally, the heart's desire is to possess everything. Now, aren't we fed that by, I mean, we're fed that constantly just to want to possess everything. And then jealousy or envy, which says this, you know what? I don't like how God has provided for you. So I need to attack you. I need to tear you down. I need to find something wrong with you. I need to destroy you because I don't like how God's provided for you. And I wish God had provided that way for me. Oh, we can be jealous about your success or your charisma or your possession. Just become intolerant of that. Or your great marriage, your great home, or your great vacations, your great Instagram page or whatever. And so he's saying in light of the, time, of the times we live, like, come on, like, grow up. Like, put that stuff off. Put off jealousy, put off envy, put it all off here. So it's time not to, to wake up spiritually. Number two, to clean up darkness. And then lastly, I close with this. It's time to dress up. You read verse 14, it says this. It says, it said, clothe yourself, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, some translations, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Wake up. 
clean up, now put on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways, or in other words, make provision for the flesh to indulge your evil desires. And saying, look, you're the children of God who are to put off the old life, put on the new life. This is a profound verse, absolutely profound. And this is the key to the Christian life. The simplicity of the Christian life to wake up every day to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. What we do on the outside, we're used to cleaning up, okay, and then putting on, washing off the filth of the day, saying, like, what you do on the outside, just do on the inside. There's things to put off, things to put on here. For example, at the end of the day, you could hit the day and say, you know what, man, today wasn't a good day. Uh, Today I did some things that I regret. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have reacted like that. I could have done much better. I could have showed kindness there. Man, I screwed up that action there. And you realize, okay, there's things that I need to put off. And you say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I see how I'm living. Thank you for dying for that lie and that cheating and that whatever. But tomorrow, I'm going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to, in that area of my life there, what he's talking about is dressing the inner man. But he's saying this, and look, look, you dress your outer man. Like we all get it, we dress our outer man. And I just want to say this. How you dress the outer man impacts the inner man. Well, how is that? Well, think about it. On graduation day, when you graduate from high school or college or whatever, and you wear those god-awful dumb hats, you know, and like the worst thing designed in history. But anyway, and then you walk through and you get your hand shaken by the provost or principal, and then they flip it to the other side. You're no longer a student. Now you've dressed up. Now you're a graduate. And your identity changes from student to graduate. Think about this. So what this is saying is like, look, for some of you, It's your day to put on the Lord Jesus Christ here and to recognize that it's a new day. Or in addition, you know, people that that are police officers, that are firemen, firefighters and all, and you take off your civilian clothes and you put on your uniform and you are saying, "I I am now at a higher level of responsibility. I now have authority, of the authority of the law, of the city or the state or whatever. And so you put something on, and that, that changes your disposition, changes who you are. And so think about that when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or when someone gets, a woman gets married, and ladies, they're clothed in a wedding dress. Anybody watch that TV show, Say Yes to the Dress? Say Yes to the Dress. Have you, you seen that? Okay, well, uh, and when you put the dress on, you're saying, I'm no longer single. I'm getting married. I am going to have a new life. And everywhere, everybody here, here's my question to you and those watching online. What, as a band comes up, what mindsets do you need to put off and what do you need to put on? What actions do you need to put off and what do you need to put on? What responses do you need to put off or what do you need to put on? What temptation? What sin do you need to put off? And what obedience and repentance do you need to put on? You see, what relationships do you need to put off and what do you need to put on? Well, 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like this, that you could actually put on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine I was thinking about this, knowing that I was going to do it. And I thought, Rod, what if you go into a public place? But the only place I shop is Costco. So I thought, what, well, that I frequently shop at. Uh, and I thought, what if you wear this jacket? I thought of this last night. What, do you, what if you wear the jacket into Costco? How is it going to affect you? Like, I know there's going to be some eyes on me. My son Jordan has worn this jacket in public. Yeah. I said, yeah. And I said, Jay, how is it? He goes, Dad, it's, it's amazing. I'll be standing somewhere and all these people are like this. <laughs> and I just wonder that I'm doing this to example, but what if we lived in the reality to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? How transformative, friends, how transformative would that be?